Pastor Paul, and again, good morning, and it's good to see you here. Glad that you are here on this Resurrection Sunday. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16, and I'll be reading Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 this morning. As you're turning there, uh, those of you who are usually with us here, you know we're in a series in the book of Mark, started that, I guess, in January. We are up now to really the end of chapter 3, jumping well ahead here to Mark chapter 16. Uh, So we'll probably get to this text about a year from now uh, in our studies. So when we get there, just be surprised. (laughs) Be totally surprised. Uh, Not really. There are, uh, God's word is so rich and deep that there are probably six or seven uh, sermons, or at least variations of sermons in this one text. My prayer this morning is that you would simply hear just one. If you're able to, please stand as I read Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, give us ears now and eyes, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Oh God, give us, give us faith to believe that indeed you are a miracle-working God. You are a God who delights, in fact, to bring life out of death, victory, out of defeat a God who hears and sees, a God that we can always trust, no matter how many prayers that we may have prayed or how long it might take. Give me strength this morning, Lord, to preach your word. I'd be faithful to it, humble that your Holy Spirit would come and anoint the preaching and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. About two weeks ago, we were over on the west side for a few days during my kids' spring break, and on the morning that we were set to leave the hotel that we were staying at, we we were packing up all of our things, and suddenly, the fire alarm sounded. And fire alarms are loud, and they're supposed to be loud, but this one seemed exceptionally loud. It was shrill. It It seemed like everybody in the Puget Sound could hear this alarm going off. Now, we were on the third floor of this 
three-story hotel, and when the fire alarm went off, I immediately went to the window. I looked out the window. I didn't see any smoke. I didn't see any red fire trucks. So I hurried to the door. I opened it up. I looked down the hall. I didn't see anybody running, screaming down the hall with their belongings like what happens in the movies. Nobody seemed to be too concerned at all. And yet this fire alarm is sounding. It's not stopping. And so I went back in our little room there, and my kids are looking at me saying, Dad, why can't you make that stop? Can you do something about that? And so I turned to Becky and I said, you know, you hear that, right? Maybe we should probably go down at least to the lobby and just make sure. We don't really know. Let's kind of regroup. And she said, no, no, you guys go ahead and go down. I'll just stay here and finish packing. (laughs) And I didn't grow up in this country. But, But where I grew up, when a fire alarm is sounding you're supposed to do something. I I don't think you're supposed to act as if it's not sounding and act as if nothing's going on. You're, You're not supposed to pretend that it's just business as usual. Just go on. Even though you hear a fire alarm, it's really okay. Just try to ignore that. Just keep living your life as usual. Just keep packing. No, if if a fire alarm is sounding, we ought to pay attention. We shouldn't ignore that. We don't want to ignore that. Because ignoring that, well, actually may put our life at risk. We may be in danger. Our life may be in danger. Now, thankfully, that fire alarm stopped. Soon thereafter, there was no fire in our hotel, and I had an opening for my Easter sermon. So it's a win. <laughs> for, the, for the past 2,000 years, An alarm has been sounding, and it beckons us to pay attention. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is that alarm that has been ringing and ringing and ringing throughout these 2,000 years. And Christians throughout the centuries have made a staggering claim about Jesus Christ. Christians have claimed that Jesus was crucified on a cross. Christians have believed that Jesus was buried in a tomb, and Christians have believed that he has been raised from the dead. And we Christians have claimed that his resurrection cannot be ignored. It it should not be ignored. And in fact, one of the worst things we could do is to ignore it, to go on as life as usual, to try and make it stop even, and just keep packing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the climactic point in human history. Through the resurrection of Jesus, it is as if God the Father pulled the divine fire alarm, and it has been ringing ever since, and it continues to ring on this Easter Sunday morning. It's meant to get our attention. So I wonder, can you hear it? Now, maybe you're here, and you think, I... I actually, I hear that. I actually believe in Jesus, but, but I'm, I'm still not quite sure how his resurrection is supposed to make a difference in my life because one day kind of just turns into the next and here we are already at another Easter. Maybe you're here and you're seeking. You have questions about Jesus, trying to put the pieces of Holy Week together, but let's be honest, you have pretty low expectations for what's supposed to happen today. In fact, you... You're going to come, and you may leave basically unchanged. And maybe it is that you're here, and 
you don't actually believe in the resurrection of the dead at all. It's a myth. It's a fun story. But it's so hard to fathom. It's so unbelievable that actually you really don't believe it. You don't believe in any resurrection for Jesus, for yourself, for anybody. Well, you would actually be in some very good company. Neither did these women that we read about here in Mark chapter 16. They were not expecting a resurrection on this day. Far from it. Let me read again Mark chapter 16, follow along, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, it's really easy to miss how shocking and and completely surprising this scene actually really is. These women are mentioned previously in the Gospel of Mark. All three were at the crucifixion of Jesus, Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Two of them accompanied Joseph to the burial in verse 47. And now, here they are, all three of them, they're approaching the tomb on this early Easter Sunday morning. Now, what is so shocking? What is so surprising about that? Well, for starters, in Jesus' day, women were often viewed as second-class citizens. I mean, their testimony in court was considered inadmissible. They, they were often seen as being unreliable witnesses. So if you're looking to make up a story, if you're looking to fabricate some fanciful story and weave a tale about some sort of resurrection from the dead, this is not the way that you would do it. You would never have made the first and best witnesses of the resurrection female. Now in our context, it'd be a little like saying the the best witnesses and the most reliable witnesses were were a bunch of six-year-olds. Now, ladies, please don't send me emails. I didn't compare you to a six-year-old. But these ladies are among the most unlikely people to be witnesses of this resurrection. And it's not just that they are women. No, it's even more. They don't actually, they don't actually believe that it's going to happen. They were, they were not expecting a resurrection at all. Even though Jesus had said that to his disciples, he had warned them, forewarned them, this is about to take place. Remember, the whole reason these women are up early that particular Sunday morning is why? Well, they're going to bring these expensive spices, and they're going to pour them on the body of Jesus, and that was done to cover the stench of decay. There's a dead body. It, 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 will, it will smell, so we're going to take care of that. And that's the basis of their question in verse 3. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? And the implication being, well, there's a dead body there. We've got spices. This is what we're supposed to do. But we've got a big problem. There's a really, really large stone there. Now, that is a great question, isn't it? There's only three of them. And even if these three women were Olympic athletes, there's no way that they are moving that large stone by themselves. A few years ago, several years ago, a couple of PhD students from Georgia Tech estimated that the rock... Uh, that sealed the entrance to the tomb was anywhere from three to 4,000 pounds, one and a half to two tons. That, I mean, if we all tried to do that together, we, we couldn't roll that stone away. Nobody was moving that stone anytime soon. And so these ladies arrive at the tomb with some pretty low expectations. They're not expecting a resurrection. 
If anything, as Mark records it here, and we'll get to Matthew in just a minute, we can actually sense mounting trouble for these women. Not, not resurrection joy. Now just think about this, ladies. If before you go to bed tonight, you lean over to your husband and say, just FYI, honey, I'm going to be getting up real early in the morning. I'm going to grab two ladies from my book club. We're going to head to the cemetery. There's a tomb there that they're really interested about. And in fact, we're going to break in. I mean, your husband would, there'd be alarm bells going off in his head, right? He'd probably be wondering, what, what kind of books are you reading in that book club? And ladies, if you knew that when you got to that tomb, that you don't have a way of moving a two-ton stone, well, that would be a problem. And when you realize that the particular tomb that you are running to, that it is guarded 24-7 by a soldier, and it is, in fact, a capital offense to mess with the body and to get in there, well, now we get a better sense for what these three ladies were up against on this Sunday morning. They have some obstacles. They're not expecting a resurrection. And so when we add it all up, what are we left to conclude? I think we can conclude one thing. These women are the perfect recipients for an Easter surprise. And that's exactly what they got Verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I mean, for these women, God had already taken care of really the, their biggest problem. Their initial problem was we have a, a two-ton stone that somehow has got to be removed because you know, we've got a job to do. Well, God had already taken care of that too. He had also taken care of the dead body of Jesus. There isn't one. So these ladies are out of a job. There's no need for spices. No body, no spices. Can't you just see one Mary, probably Mary Magdalene, saying to the other Mary, did you at least keep the receipt? Because these are really expensive. Can we, we got to get our money back. Now Matthew records it in his gospel, chapter 28, with, with just a bit more detail. So let me just read this. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. How would you like to have been given that assignment by God? You're an angel, and he says, I got a great assignment for you. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to roll the stone away. Don't worry about Jesus already resurrected, but uh, you do need to worry because in about five minutes, three women are going to be there. So make it quick. I mean, what an incredible assignment for that angel. Matthew continues his appearance it was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, speaking of the angel. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So again, these women facing all kinds of obstacles, but God had already acted on their behalf. He had, he had taken care of their issues, their problems. He had removed the stone. He had taken care of the guards. Most importantly, he had resurrected Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's, 
it's as if it's as if God is sovereign over every last detail of the resurrection of Jesus. It's as if God knows what he's doing. It's as if he has a plan and he's working it to perfection. And indeed he is. And talk about an Easter surprise for these ladies at the tomb. I mean, Easter surprises are great. Some of you, maybe especially some of you kids, you're going to have an Easter surprise this afternoon. We got snow on the ground. Oh, joy. What a surprise. But you're, you might have an Easter egg hunt, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hunt for all these eggs. They're going to be buried all over the place, and it's a fun, it's a wonderful thing. What a, what a great Easter surprise. All of our Easter surprises, however great the little chocolate eggs are, they all pale in comparison to the surprise these women found on that first Easter Sunday. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking, you know what? I could use a little Easter surprise. My soul could use that. Would you be open to the Lord moving in your heart today, maybe doing, maybe surprising you, maybe doing what you don't expect him to do at all? I mean, Easter, the the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Easter is for ordinary people like us who may not be expecting a whole lot today but who desperately need God to intervene in our lives, but who need God to do a work. And that's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of of Easter is that the gospel includes every one of us. Nobody's outside of the good news of the gospel. And the resurrection of Jesus is that alarm that tells us that God in his grace has far more spiritual good to do in your life than sometimes you realize then maybe you can't even see in the thick of it and in the moment. Because Easter is not just about God's great plan to surprise us. Easter is about God's great plan to save us. And the proof is the empty tomb. There is no body. Well, that stone is rolled away, and what do the women do? Look with me in the text. Do they stand back and stare at it? Try to figure out what happened. Run as fast as they can in the opposite direction, which, I mean, if that's us, all of those are on the table, would they not be? All good options, it seems. Well, they actually enter verse 5. And they meet that young man, no doubt an angel of the Lord, an angel sent by the Lord. And given the circumstances of this morning, their response is completely appropriate. It's, It's absolutely normal. We read that they were alarmed. Now we somehow have got this idea that if ever you come face to face with an angel, an angel the Lord, that there will be this extreme sense of peace, tranquility, quiet, an overwhelming sense of calm. I mean, who doesn't want to experience that? That's why we make TV shows about it. And we have some faint hope one day that maybe, maybe I too could really be touched by an angel. You don't want to be touched by an angel. 
Because if an angel of the Lord descended on us right here, right now, in this place, we would all be terrified. We would be in complete and abject fear. Whenever people in the Bible encounter an angel, it's sheer terror. And Mark says that these women here were alarmed, greatly alarmed. That's an interesting word. It's used only here in Mark's gospel. It's used four times. One of them, it describes the, that intense emotional distress that Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was sweating blood. He was, it was so intense because of a surprise or because of a calamity. It's that kind of alarm. Now, you might go home this afternoon and read the headlines or you're watching the news and you read something and think, oh, that's not good. That's, that's kind of alarming. But then we usually forget about it and we go about our day as if we really didn't read that. We just keep packing. But that's not what's going on here. I mean, the alarm that these three ladies are facing, it's a, it's a combination of fear, astonishment, worry, wonder, bewilderment, terror, all at once. It's the kind of fear and alarm that you would experience if this afternoon, during that wonderful Easter egg hunt, you, you walk out your door, you suddenly look up in the sky, and there you see careening from the sky a 40-foot RV, and it crashes right in front of you. That would be alarming. That's what these women are experiencing on this first Easter Sunday. It's, it's that kind of alarm of being just freaked out with fear and terror. They're not expecting any of this. They don't have a category for this. Even if they wanted to speak, they didn't, and they probably couldn't, which is why this young man, this angel of the Lord, speaks to them, verse 6. The first words out of his mouth, do not be alarmed. That makes sense. Why? Because they are alarmed. They're terrified. Do not be terrified, he says. I mean, he knows that they're looking for a body. He knows that they're looking for Jesus. They saw him being crucified. They saw him being buried. But yet, here they are. There is no body. And it's what the angel says next to these terrified women that actually makes all the difference for them makes all the difference for us, makes all the difference for our world some 2,000 years later. He has risen. He is not here. Jesus has risen. He's alive. Mark records what happens next. Women receive this very alarming, terrifying message. He is risen. And the angel instructs these women to go, leave the tomb, tell the disciples, tell Peter that Jesus has risen. I mean, what an incredible message to proclaim. And so these women flee the empty tomb. They're so excited. They're so terrified that they tell absolutely nobody. They don't say a word. Now, there are all kinds of important details and I'd love to cover with you, and I'm going to leave that for the five or seven other sermons that you'll hear at some point. This morning, friends, I simply want you to hear the alarm. He is risen. He is not here. That alarm has been pulled, and the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been ringing in the world ever since. He has risen. 
three English words, just one word in the original Greek, and in one sense, the truth of the gospel hangs on that one Greek word or our three English words. I mean, if that one word is not actually true, if it's just poetic or if it's just symbolic, then the whole edifice of Christianity should come crashing down to the ground, and it in fact deserves to crash to the ground because it would be a lie to say that a man is alive who's actually not. But if that one word is true, then everything really important starts to come together. If Jesus has been raised, well, it's evidence then that it's evidence of the reality of God. And it invites us to consider the God who has done the raising. Is that my God? Is that your God? Will you one day be raised to resurrection life? I mean, if it's true, then there actually is a real historical answer to the question of death. For if God did raise Jesus from the dead, then you and I actually have hope for life after death, which is something that every human being longs for. Every human being craves for that. We are searching, sometimes endlessly on this earth, for life after death. I mean, if Jesus has been risen from the dead then there is a sobering yet glorious purpose for living because Jesus is Lord. And we human beings then are not left on our own to figure out this earthly life. But no, our greatest joy becomes following Him, worshiping Him, serving Him, loving Him. Jesus has risen. Three English words, one really, really important Greek word that absolutely can change your life and mine. And understand, church, that Jesus is not just risen from the dead and then removed from history. It's not like he, he's alive, but nobody ever heard about him. Where did he go? It's like a vanishing act. He's not a ghost. No, his resurrection from the dead enthrones him as Lord of history. And so the empty tomb, we're not meant just to stare at an empty tomb. The empty tomb is not just a static statement about Jesus. Well, he was there, but now he's no longer there, but we really don't know anything more than that. No, the empty tomb is a declaration that he has defeated death forever and that he now sits enthroned even this morning and that he is alive and that he's on the move. He's, a, he's on the move in our world, in our church, and yes, in your life and in mine. He has risen. Those three words, by the way, set apart Christianity from all other world religions. Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Muhammad certainly didn't. They're dead. They died, their bodies are in a grave. You, you might even think of all the, the greatest of Israelite prophets. Pick your favorite one. All the way through the Old Testament, or you think of the Apostle Paul. No, they all died physically, and their bodies are in a tomb. But Jesus died, and he did not stay dead. He's risen, and he stays 
risen. So much hangs on that phrase. He has risen. Now, if you're here and you're still trying to put the pieces of the resurrection puzzle, as it were, together, totally get that, I understand. I think we approach this, we, we read a text like this, really any text on the resurrection, and, and we read it with an underlying operating assumption, and the assumption is that dead people are supposed to stay dead, unless you watch a lot of zombie movies, then they don't, but if you're watching a lot of zombie movies, maybe we should chat after. <laughs> if you're here Friday night, you heard me speak about the Roman crucifixion. Roman crucifixion was designed to make sure that dead people stay dead. There wasn't any sort of ambiguity there. Romans killed people. They made sure that they killed them. They were completely dead and that they stayed dead. Otherwise, guess what? Those Roman soldiers will be dead. In the first century, Jesus was just one of many Messianic figures who lived and then subsequently died. All those supposed messiahs, guess what happened to them? They died, they were buried, and they stayed dead. Which, largely forgotten really, which is incredibly disappointing if you happen to be a fan or you, know, you followed them on Twitter. It's the end of the story. They're dead, end of story, disappointing, moving on. Now, if the story of Jesus ended in Mark chapter 15, well, nobody would remember him either because it would be the same thing. Well, he's just another supposed Messiah-like figure. He died, he's buried, he stays dead. Nothing to see. No alarm at all. Yet from the very beginning, Christians throughout the centuries have proclaimed Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, that if Christ has not been raised, there are two very bad things for us. We, our, our faith is still futile, and we are all still in our sins. In other words, if Jesus is not risen, if he's still dead, if his body is still lying in some tomb somewhere, and you know we just haven't discovered it, just keep packing. No alarm needed because we have zero hope of salvation for our, our sins. And we will one day all die and we will all face the just punishment and consequence for our sins. Happy Easter. Hope the ham is good. August Comte was a French philosopher, skeptic. Really, a, he was a bitter enemy of Christianity. This is in the mid-1800s. He was once belittlingly an English writer, a friend of his, Thomas Carlyle. Thomas was a committed Christian, sincere believer in Jesus Christ. And they had all these talks about the resurrection and how August Comte said, no, there's no way I can believe in that. And Carlyle said, well, you should believe in that. Comte at one point suggested that he was done with Christianity. So he was going to start his own religion. Very good, responded Carlyle. All you need to do is to be crucified, rise again on the third day, and get the world to believe that you are still alive. Then your new religion might just have a chance. That's a tall task, isn't it? That alarm proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
that has been ringing for 2,000 years and almost for about the same amount of time, people have been trying to say it hasn't. People have been even saying, make it stop. Let's explain it away. There couldn't possibly be a resurrection from the dead. It's, it's so impossible. It's such a, a fanciful tale. Maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Maybe he just swooned on the cross. Maybe the disciples switched the bodies in the, in the dark of night. Maybe the body of Jesus was stolen somehow. And, well, there's been a lot of excavations. I mean, it's 2,000 years now. We just haven't found it. But one day we will find it because there has to be a body somewhere. And on and on and on it goes. Listen, church, there are all kinds of theories that attempt to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. There's no need for panic, and there's no need for worry. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and suddenly you're going to read the headlines. It's going to be breaking news. Just discovered the body of Jesus in a grave. That will not happen because he's alive, because he's risen. So church, to all of you who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross, to all of you here who believe that indeed he has risen, defeating sin, death, and Satan, that doesn't mean that we still don't struggle to figure out what that actually means for us. It doesn't mean we still don't struggle or have questions to try and put the pieces together. Yes, Jesus is risen, he's alive, he's alive in me, but... But I'm not quite sure what that is supposed to mean. We can hear that alarm, but sometimes in practical daily life, the things of this world, the cares and concerns and the burdens of this earthly life, and there are many, that that alarm becomes so very faint. Sometimes it's barely audible at all. So I just want you to consider, I want you to hear this morning some of the very real practical implications of those three words. Jesus has risen. Jesus has risen. That means, brothers and sisters, that you can have victory over sin in your life. It means that your sins do not get the last word in your life. It means that Christ is in you. Those are some of the most powerful words in all the Bible. Christ in you. What that means then is the power of the living and resurrected God by the agency of the Holy Spirit is alive and at work and on the move in your life and heart. That means then that yes, it is your destiny to fight sin on this earth, but one day you'll be completely free from it. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 Sin will, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus has risen. That means that one day, you too will rise from the dead. It means that this earthly life is not all that there is. In fact, this earthly life is, is barely a beginning if you have put your faith in the resurrected Christ, because one day you will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus has risen. That means that any work that you do to advance his kingdom here on earth, any time that you share the gospel with someone, you 
Anything, in fact, that you do actually matters. Those small acts of service, those small acts of sacrifice and love, which let's be honest, for ordinary people like us, that's kind of all we got. And that's what we do day in and day out. It means that those things actually matter. It means they matter to God and they matter to the people around you. They are not in vain, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So don't give up. Be zealous for those good works. Jesus has risen. That means that actually right now as you are sitting here and you are listening to me, you can have a real-time personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you kidding me? I mean, does it get better than that? That you can know the love of a living Savior who has promised that he is for you for all eternity and he will never leave you or forsake you. He'll be with you even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. Jesus has risen. You know what that means? That means you and I actually have good, solid reason for joy and for hope. Regardless of what happens this afternoon, regardless of what happens in your life next month or 20 years from now. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, what is the Apostle Paul saying there? Because Jesus has risen, because Jesus is alive, because there is no body, because we're not going to find that, and because you belong to him by faith, this earthly life is as bad as it's ever going to get for you. This earthly life, with all of its heartaches and trials and failures and regrets, and sins. If you are in Christ, united by faith in Christ, this is as bad as it's ever going to get because all of those things I just mentioned, they have an expiration date. It's just this earth. It's only this earth. But if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never repented, turned from your sins, put all of your faith and all of your trust in this risen and resurrected Jesus, then friend, this earthly life is as good as it will ever get for you. That's it. And the prospect of an eternity separated from the risen and resurrected Jesus should terrify you. You have every right to be alarmed this morning. Now you might hear that and think, well, I got questions. I'm, I'm still seeking. I need a little bit more time. I get it. I, I certainly could use a lot more of Jesus in my life. I could use more focus, more purpose, more meaning, love. Maybe Jesus has all of that for me. Well, friend, it's, it's great to seek, but it's even better to be found. And I wonder if some of you this morning need to stop hiding behind your seeking. You're constantly seeking and questioning and curious and challenging. You are on your own spiritual journey. But the truth is you, you don't really have a whole lot of interest in making any sort of decision about Jesus. You're content to keep seeking, which means then that you never really have to start loving him. 
and you never really have to start living for him. Seeking is good. Being found by Jesus is even better. So turn to him today. Perhaps some of you here are, in a sense, you're, you're, you're standing, looking at that empty tomb, you're thankful for it, you're staring at it, but again, you're not quite sure what to make of it, and perhaps you're thinking you're going to leave here in just a few minutes, and you'll go on with life. You'll just keep packing. Maybe it is that you're actually going to keep a, just a safe distance between you and this Jesus that is alive. It's Jesus that is on the move. It could be that you have a bit of a problem with the living and resurrected Jesus. You're not opposed to him. I mean, you actually believe who, who he said he is, that you know you, you need him. There's certain parts that you really like about him. You, you want to try and fit him into your life, but friend, that's the problem. The risen and resurrected Jesus doesn't fit in any of our lives as much as we try. It's basically saying, you know what, I'm really cool to have Jesus as my divine butler, but I really don't want him as my savior. I don't want him to be in control, but who doesn't want Jesus to be their divine butler? I mean, he's there to help us. We call, he answers. He gives us good stuff that we need in order to live, to, to make it in this life. He, he cares for us. He attends to us. Maybe, maybe you've been following a butler, Jesus, for a while now, and it's actually time this morning to follow a Savior, Jesus. A Savior, Jesus, means that you have come to the point in your life where you have died to your sins and you continue to die to yourself and to your sins every day so that, yes, it is no longer you who live, but Christ in you, which means then that he really is Lord of your life. It means then that as Lord, he's the one that gets to tell you who you are, your fundamental identity. He, he gets to tell you what to do, how to act, how to live, how to love. It means you take him at his word. The Savior Jesus means that no longer are you going to try and fit him into your life because he just doesn't fit. Savior Jesus means that you recognize that you're the one that must surrender. You're the one that needs to bend the knee. You're the one in need of change and growth. It's interesting, brothers and sisters, that the, the closer you get to Jesus... The closer you get to Jesus, the more he puts the life you've been living at risk. Because the closer you get to him, the more you actually discover how much you need to change and how much you still need to grow. The closer you get to him means that you cannot ignore the alarm that has been sounding for 2,000 years. You cannot just keep going on with your life. Business as usual I'll just keep packing. Perhaps today, Easter Sunday, 2022, 